You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly podcast shining a light on the latest news from Sweden. We're recording this episode on Thursday the 9th of June. And coming up on this week's show, we'll examine the election prospects of the Christian Democrats, whose leader Ebba Bush we interviewed this week. We'll also discuss what you need to think about if you're moving to a new address in Sweden. And finally, we'll turn our attention to this week's main political political talking point, a failed attempt by the right-wing opposition parties to oust the Justice Minister Morgan Johansson, the key role played in his survival as minister by the independent Member of Parliament Amina Kakabava, and what it all means for the upcoming election. I'm Paul Mahoney and I'm joined today by James Savage in Stockholm. And we've got a very welcome guest because Richard Orange and Becky Waterton are joined in the Malmö studio by the local Sweden's editor Emma Lovegreen and her new baby Amanda. Hello everybody and a special welcome to you Emma. Hi. We enjoy being here, both me and Amanda. Though I'm having to stand here bouncing up and down to keep her quiet and happy. Not too distracting to you. Yeah, we do We do have the baby in the studio, which is a first for the podcast, I think. What's it like being on parental leave? How have things been for you so far? It's good. It's, it's weird. It's a surreal experience. It's really weird how like, your days manage to be so chaotic and so samey at the same time. Because you're not really doing anything. But at the same time, you're always busy. And Emma, do you have any advice that you would give to people planning to have a baby in Sweden? I think I'm still figuring it out myself. Uh, I would say buy everything secondhand as much as you can, because things are really, really expensive in Sweden, but the secondhand market is pretty good. So look for the word Lopis everywhere. What about dealing with the Försäkringskassan, applying for parental leave? Is that tricky? It's really tricky. And I mean, I'm a native Swedish speaker and I found it so tricky. And like the Swedish system is really generous because you get like 480 days of parental leave. Um, but just kind of navigating the website and what the, all the rules are, it's 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 a nightmare. And for seconds, cars are really hard to get hold of as well. Because if you call them, you get stuck in a phone queue for hours. If you well, you can't email them really. But I found out that if you go to their Facebook page, they're actually really good at answering questions there. So that's my hot tip for anyone. If you don't know what to do, uh, go to Seconds Castle's Facebook page and ask them. Or read the Locals Guide. And Richard and Becky, you've been hanging around rubbish bins this week. Can you uh, tell us why, please? Yeah, so in Malmö they've brought out these new rubbish bins that are meant to make it... that are meant to make people throw away more rubbish. And their tactic for doing that is to give them what is being described as sensual voices that say things like, oh yeah, a little to the left, like whenever you throw rubbish into the bin... (laughs) So um, 
we went down to Davidshalsbron in our lunch break yesterday, and uh, Richard uh, tried the bins out, and um, we have a bit of audio here where you can hear him cackling in the background. <laughs> I mean, it is a very sort of sensual voice. <laughs> Apparently, it's somebody famous. The uh, the local council said, but they won't say who it is. Okay, some some kind of sultry voiced i don't know woman which is a bit sexist in a way yeah i i i think i'm very surprised they haven't put a, a male voice on one of them i think it's a very unswedish that they're objectifying women in this way <laughs> that's good beck you turned this into a controversy yeah excellent the, the new yeah. sweden gate bin gate maybe we can volunteer james what do you think would you be up for it oh yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can do one in English as well. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I think I'll just come out really camp. <laughs> I'll be good. Oh, no, I don't think I can do it. We talked last week about how it was National Day on Monday and I was all excited about having the day off, but it wasn't to be because the Christian Democrat Party got back to us to say that we could get a slot to interview their leader, Ebba Bush, at the National Day celebrations in Sundby just north of Stockholm. And obviously we wanted to do that. So I ended up spending a lot of the day at the Golf Engena Nature Reserve where thousands of people had gathered for a real family day out. And we have a write-up of the interview on the site for anyone who's interested in uh, reading the whole thing. But we're going to listen now to a short clip where I asked her about the recent Easter riots when more than 100 police officers were injured in violent demonstrations in several towns where the Danish right-wing extremist Rasmus Paladon was planning to burn copies of the Koran. And she received criticism from the police union after a radio interview in which she said, why don't we have at least 100 injured Islamists, 100 injured criminals? And I had some microphone trouble on the day, so I hope you'll forgive the sound quality. But here's what she said when I asked her if she regretted that comment. No, definitely not, because I asked rhetorical questions on how we can, how Sweden possibly could have ended up in such a horrible situation where we do have uh, people taking to violence, being prepared to, to kill Swedish police, and them being stronger than Swedish police. Mm. And that is the actual state of affairs. That is the, the state of our country that we are in now. And we need to make sure that we stand on, on the victim side, that we stand on our, um, on our citizen side, the ones that do everything right, just try to live their life in peace by making sure that the police will always be stronger than the ones taken to violence. And during this Easter, Sweden sadly showed that we are not in all areas stronger than the ones that are prepared to, to take on violence to get their way. Paul, what did you make of Ebba Bush? Um, it, was, it was really interesting to see up close just how charismatic she is. I mean, she's sort of widely regarded as being the most charismatic leader in the Riksdag. And I, I really saw that people were quite excited to be in her presence and wanted to have their photo taken with her. And then she mingled for a while, took a photo of a lot of people, and then we went inside the Christian Democrats' tent. All of the parties had their sort of marquee tents set up on the, the grounds. And 
her English was really excellent. We only had 10 minutes to talk to her, which is not not a lot of time, but we covered a lot of ground because kind of surprisingly, she really answered all the questions I asked. And some of the questions were, you know, quite tricky. And I would have expected a politician to deflect and try to answer a different question. But she really focused on the questions I, I asked, which was, you know, which I thought was kind of kind of interesting. But this is this is so her, isn't it? I mean, if you see her in debates, if you see her in interviews, this is why she does pretty well for the leader of a party that's as small as hers. I mean, you know, she she doesn't talk in in sort of media trained bullshit. She says what she thinks. She gives straight answers to straight questions. She's direct. And, you know, whatever you think of her politics as such, that's quite refreshing. And it's and it make it does make her one of the least irritating I would say one of the least irritating leaders in most of these party leader debate just because of her style and I think the others the others could learn from it be yourself answer questions be direct it's appreciated Mm. but how surprising is it that she doesn't regret those Easter riot comments do you think Becky I mean, I I don't know. I don't know if she regrets them on a personal level, but I'm not surprised at all that she felt the need to double down on them again because if she'd have kind of come out and said, oh, well, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that. That was a bit stupid. That would be kind of undoing any of the... Like, like she's her, her party has soared in the polls since she made those comments. And I think if she'd kind of done the opposite and said that, oh, no, I didn't really mean that, that was a mistake. She'd be undoing all of that progress that the Christian Democrats have, have, have seen since that. And also, I think... She did kind of adapt what she had said. She obviously kind of doubled down on the comments and said, oh, no, yeah, I, I definitely meant it. You know, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't take back what I said. But, you know, everything I was saying was rhetorical. Like, I, I didn't actually, I wasn't actually saying that they should have gone and shot people. I'm just saying rhetorically, like, why weren't there people that were shot? Which I'm not sure, I'm not sure I understand the difference that she's trying to say there. Yeah, and as you say, um, in her personal popularity soared after those comments. She climbed seven percentage points in the sort of May party leader polls, making her the third most popular party leader after Magdalene Anderson and Ulf Christensen. So it hasn't harmed her at all. Um, on the contrary, she's she's done really well out of it. One of the things people commented on most when we published the interview was the fact that the Christian Democrats want work permit applicants to be able to show that they've been offered a monthly salary of at least 35,000 kroner to be eligible, except in certain sectors where there are worker shortages. Why are people reacting to this, James? Well, for the, for the obvious reasons, I guess. I mean, this is, this is, this is, you know, would be a severe restriction on the number of people who would be qualified to come to Sweden. It's also, if you look at it in the context of, you know, of, of, of the Swedish debate in particular, it's a very, it's kind of elitist. And that, for many people, is provocative. Of course, for Ebba Bush, she being provocative is not necessarily um, a, a drawback of this proposal. Rather, rather the, the contrary, she she enjoys being provocative. But clearly, it is it's a, it, it is very controversial to say that we're going to limit it, basically based on how yeah, based on how much how much you're paid. It's a long way from Swedish egalitarianism. We should probably mention the fact that the Social Democrats came out this week saying that they want to propose a change to work permit laws. And they want to kind of bring in a salary limit. They were saying 27,000 kroner, which is, I think that's 85% of Sweden's average wage. So it would be around 27,000, 28,000, which I think is, is, I don't know, it's obviously lower, but I think there's still a lot of people that would be locked out of the labour market if that was brought in. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of other countries are like, I don't know, introducing like digital nomad visas and like trying to attract young people. Like, it doesn't seem like Sweden is doing that. I mean, most young people aren't going to 
earn 35,000 kroner. They might earn 27,000. Yeah. Like this is this is my first kind of salaried job. And I think it would be impossible for me to have got a, like straight off the bat getting a job for 35,000 kroner. It means that you can only really come after you're kind of established. And I also think there's something I don't like about the way that they're all phrasing these work permits, um, this work permit overhaul is like, oh, but we're protecting immigrants from being exploited on the labour market. This is going to stop exploitation. It's like, maybe there's another way you can do that because this is going to have the knock-on effect of meaning that there's loads of people that now can't come to Sweden just because they don't earn over this kind of arbitrary amount. Because the rules before were that you could support yourself. And I think as long as you can kind of say, okay, well, I can support myself. The chances of me needing help from the state are low, so I'm not going to be a quote-unquote burden on society. I think that should kind of be allowed. If you can say, I'm going to have a job, I'm going to be paying taxes, and I'm, I'm probably not going to have to take any kind of benefits. I think what's quite depressing is that none of the parties are really doing this out of what's going to be good for Sweden or good for the country or good for the economy. It's a sort of bidding war to see who's tougher on immigration. The right wing have come back with these kind of increasing bids on thresholds to what salary you can have. And then the Social Democrats have just come back and said, well, we're going to do that as well. And, it, and, it's, and it's all about politics and nothing about what's good for the country, which I think is, is quite is quite depressing. What they're reacting to, and let's remember what they're reacting to here, they're reacting to a sort of increasing anti-immigration sentiment in Sweden over the last five, six, seven years. And what a lot of polls show is that anti-immigration sentiment is... is that people who are against immigration or are sceptical towards immigration are predominantly sceptical towards immigration of people on lower salaries, people without jobs, asylum immigration, and, you know, people who are coming for, for low-skilled jobs. You know, we've had, we've had all the talk about berry pickers who've come from Thailand on, you know, seasonal workers and have been paid, you know, low amounts of money, people who've, people who've come and worked in kitchens and been, been paid very low salaries. And that is unpopular among a, among a significant portion of the population. And this is an answer to that. This is, this is the Christian Democrats, but also the social democrats the moderates trying to say look this is the immigration we want and if you ask people there's a, there are many more people who would say that we're fine with high skilled high paid immigration and then they're putting a figure on it and like you say it's a bidding war but you know fundamentally it's a relatively popular idea which is why they're doing it i think a couple of episodes we talked about how it's strange that 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 the liberal parties who should be pushing back against this are strangely silent you know you're not even seeing the center party you're not seeing the liberal party come forward and say actually we we want a, a liberal uh, labor migration market it's a, sort of an indication of where people see the population it, that there is no party willing to fight the other side at this at the moment. If we return to uh, Ebba Bush, what kind of politician is she? I would say she is a populist. She's a populist politician and she's very tactical, very strategic, and she doesn't seem to really put a foot wrong in a way. I mean, for example, this shock statement she made about the rhetorical question about why 100 Islamists weren't weren't injured. The way that was presented in the interview, it was it, it seemed very pre-planned. It was the first thing she said. She dropped it and then she went back to kind of normal interview mode. And she's using a lot of the techniques that, that, the, that the right wing has have used in the US. She's obviously a lot more articulate a debater than, than, you know, someone like Donald Trump. But she's definitely using some of the same playbook and she's doing it very, very well. And so she's really, especially in the last six months, she's really, she's really sort of taken a prominent position, I think, in, in, the, in the debate in Sweden. And she's trying to position herself as extremely, as tougher than anyone else on, on crime. I think that's how she's trying to distinguish herself from the Sweden Democrats or the 
and the moderates is she is they're the party which is tougher on crime than anyone else and she's done quite a good job in profiling the party that way I think. Yeah you've almost answered my next question there but where does her party sit on the left-right spectrum? As you wrote in, in, in your um, write-up of the interview when she came in as leader one of the first things she did is say we are a right-wing party whereas before the party had seen itself as kind of as, as a Christian party and therefore kind of above the right-wing spectrum in that they were generous, they were in favour of sort of generous um, international aid, for example, which would be seen as a left-wing issue. Uh, but she's taken it very more firmly in, in the right-wing camp. And she she was the she was the first party leader on the right to break the so-called cordon sanitaire with the with the Sweden Democrats. So it was her who went for, was it meatballs with, with Jimmy Orkerson, which was the thing that brought the Sweden Democrats in from the fold. You know, if you, if you look at this, the, the, the Christian Democrats historically, you know, they were founded as, as, as kind of a wing of the evangelical movement in Sweden. And, you know, the evangelical movement Historically, they were quite into, for instance, protecting refugees, taking refugees into their homes, hiding them from the authorities. And, you know, now they've gone sort of on that, on those kinds of questions completely to the other side. They're different from some of these Christian Democrat parties in the on the continent, take like the German Christian Democrats, who are who are more more sort of connected to established churches, Catholic Church, and, the, and established Protestant churches. They're they're very much on the sort of evangelical side of Christianity. Um, so often been led by pastor types, you know, sort of evangelical minister people, old dudes. <laughs> Ebba Bush is is is, is a very different. Um, kind of beast to some of the people who've led that party before. That's true, but they were led by Alf Svensson for 30 years and while he was a very different kind of politician, he was also very charismatic. Uh, so they sort of have that, that in common. They do have that in common, yeah. And she's also, in terms of the way she presents her charisma, she's very much a, a, an Instagram politician. So she's, she's, she's extremely well presented. One of her best friends is this uh, blogger called Margot Dietz, uh, who's, yeah. who's, a, who's, a, who's a, you know, very much a sort of uh, yeah. classic Instagrammer. Became famous for putting her birth video Video on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, and you know, and then she was she, one of the recent scandals she was in was when she was at a party during the COVID, which was you know a really sort of star-studded party. So it's completely the opposite of the sort of more sort of fusty image you might have of a sort of Christian Democrat on the continent. Anyway, sort of conservative yeah. and, and sort of slightly buttoned up. Even kind of this this whole semi-controversy with the L Gala. This was a couple of months ago or a couple of weeks ago, just after the Easter riots. All of the female party leaders were invited to this gala with Elle magazine. And then Ebba Bush was, her, her invitation was uh, withdrawn at the last moment because of these comments. But then she went and posed outside the Russian embassy in this like amazing Ukrainian ball gown that was like designed by Ukrainian artists and all this stuff. And just, I can't imagine Magdalene Anderson posing in front of the Russian embassy in a ball gown on Instagram. Like that, that kind of shows you who Ebba Bush is. Or Alf Svensson for that matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stefan Levine, I would I would I would also quite enjoy that. I think that would be quite entertaining. One thing I read was that Ebba Bush officiated at Margot Dietz's wedding. She was like the officiant, the, the like the priest at the wedding, but it turned turned out afterwards that she didn't have the right to officiate at the wedding. <laughs> so the whole thing was the whole thing which she was never actually married in the first place. Kind of crazy. And I love that Margot Dietz is um she she's Margot with an AUX. She's named after the wine, which is just so influencer. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
And we've mentioned we've mentioned some of the controversies she's been involved in. There have been others, James. There have been others. Oh my God, there have been others. Um, so the, the, I guess the other big controversy that, that that really springs to mind is is the one that involved her. She tried to. She got divorced. Um, she tried to buy this house off this this old guy called Espion, and there was a dispute over really over whether he'd agreed to sell to her that price and at that time. And he was accusing her of, of, of taking advantage of him, poor old poor old Espion. And she said, No, I've got an agreement to buy this house. It's my house. It got very nasty and litigious. Um, so, um, and it ended up with, among many other things, it ended up with her making accusations against his lawyer on Facebook, which led to her being sued for defamation and losing. And so, in fact, in Sweden, it's a criminal thing, um, defamation. It's, 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 it's the, you know, the state. It's not the person that sues you. It's the state that sues you. And she was done. She was done for defamation. She accepted that she had defamed, you know, she accepted the court that she had defamed Espion's lawyer. But um, then she went out straight afterwards and said, not really, I didn't do it. I just accepted the verdict for, or accepted the final, you know, admitted it um, to get this out of the way. But then she's kind. This is kind of what she's done with the um, the Morgan Johansson no confidence vote. Like she supported the vote up to the vote. She was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he needs to. He needs to step down. And then as soon as it happened, she's like, we needed to do it as the Christian Democrats, or we would have lost voters. But she's sort of right about that as well, isn't she? Because this is the thing about Eva Bush. Like she got that house in the end, I think. But like it was such bad PR for her. Like most politicians would have pulled out like long before that. But she just runs the whole course, and that's kind of her role as well, isn't it? That she's sort of the attack dog of the right. So in a way, nothing that she says or does can be too shocking. Yeah. And she wins by it. She wins by it. She She looks like she knows what she thinks. She sticks to her guns, and people, in the end, reward her for it. And finally, how are the Christian Democrats likely to perform in the election? Well, they've definitely been had a bounce over the last few months. They're not where they were before before COVID and before the whole Espion saga. I mean, they were flirting with sort of ten percent, eleven percent at one point, and now they're sort of back up at six. Are they? I think the the, the latest SVD poll out today has them up one percent on where they were. The last poll, so that's over a month, and I think maybe that's because of some of the sort of profile issues that she's been leading in the last few months. So she has managed to bring up the vote. So I, I, you know, I think they'll they'll probably probably come in around sort of their sort of six percent or something. So that they're, they're you know way over the threshold and could do could do even better. Thank you to everyone who has taken our survey so far. We're nearly at a point now where we have enough answers to draw some conclusions, but we do need a few more. So if you haven't yet responded, please go to the link in the episode description. It just takes a couple of minutes to complete. Now, Emma, I'm going to ask this for your own good, because I know you're in the process of moving house. What are the most important things to think about when moving in Sweden? Well, first of all, don't leave your packing until two weeks before you're supposed to move. Because <laughs> you're, you're moving, it's quite a big move. I mean, you're not just moving from one street to another. Can you tell people where you're moving? We're moving from uh, the Stockholm area down to southern Sweden. So that's going to be great. It's my husband who got a new job there and uh, I and the baby are going to tag along and uh, I'm going to keep working for for the local from there once I'm back from maternity leave as well. Right, so it's part it's part of the great migration of the locals editorial team to southern Sweden. It continues. Finally, yes. Establishing the Malmö office. It's been my plan since joining the local in 2015. 
All we needed was a pandemic. Exactly. It's, it's, it's good. I mean, you know, I think, you know, we've been Stockholm based for so many years and uh, Stockholm's, you know, a very particular part of Sweden. The capital's always a bit set, different from the rest of the country. Malmö has a very different outlook. It's a very different kind of place. And I think it's good that we can reflect a bit of, bit of, a bit of that as well. And Paul and I are still in Stockholm and others. Um, so I think, you know, hopefully we'll be able to reflect different parts of Sweden a little bit better. That's all for the good, I'd say. We maybe never would have covered Malmö's sensual bins if you didn't have reporters in Stockholm. <laughs> well, <laughs> We wouldn't have. Think all about that. All the scoops that. that you're getting from us, James. Think of think of all the money you're making. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, just on a purely practical level, what sort of things do you have to think about when you're moving? Okay, so you need to do a flit on Melon. Like you need to report to the tax agency that you're moving. Yeah. Need to give them your new address. This is actually really important because it's technically illegal to be registered as at an address that you're not staying at. Mm-hmm. So you need to make sure you do that to keep your record clean. You can also do an address entering, like change your address with the postal office if you want to get your all your mail redirected. That costs money, though. You should check if you could make any tax deductions just for moving house. Like, for example, maybe you need to keep your old house a little bit longer before you've properly settled in the new place. Then you can check if you can get tax deductions for having basically two homes, even if it's just for a shorter period. Also, if you need to keep your old home, or if you're just sort of moving temporarily, you can check if you can sublet your old home. This is what we're going to try to do. So if mm. anybody needs a, a rod who's <laughs> in Knivsta for the next year, then give me a call. Um, <laughs> but you need to make sure that you don't charge too much rent, because there are very strict rules about this in Sweden. You're not allowed to make a profit when you're subletting a house. But you are allowed to charge extra for things like furniture and stuff, right? If you leave furniture around or some, some other stuff. There are, there are ways yeah. of sort of upping your rent a bit, I think. Like sort of reasonable costs. Yeah. Isn't there also something that when you move out, if you've made improvements to the, to the property, you can claim that back on taxes? Like if you didn't have a dishwasher and you buy a dishwasher, you can claim the cost of the dishwasher back on taxes because you've improved the standard of the property. I think so. And also if you do like, if you get a a cleaning company and to do a last sort of final clean of the house, you can get that deducted as well. Although that actually happens automatically, I think. Yeah. And don't forget that final clean of the house because that final clean of the house, it's not just wiping, wiping a cloth over. If you, if you don't, you've got to, there's something called flutsterdning moving cleaning and that is a that is a proper deep clean it has to be done with extreme thoroughness i've always been told so um don't think you can get away with leaving a messy house when you leave you'll you'll be breaking some serious swedish that's taboos. really important actually i lived in a rented home once at uh, university and when i moved out i cleaned the flat myself because it was like 13 square meters and i thought it was fine but they pulled me up on the fact that there was like one tiny line left on the bathroom mirror like you know those lines you get sometimes when you clean a mirror so i had i had to redo that <laughs> Oh, no. And then they came back. Then they came back later to check that I had actually cleaned it. But I've I've seen this a lot in the in the expat groups. Is people saying when they move out, they're like, "Oh, is this is my landlord trying to rip me off? Like we've cleaned it perfectly." And it's like probably not. Like unless you like took out all you cleaned all of the drains in your shower and you like took the oven out and cleaned behind the oven and you defrosted the freezer and cleaned every like you probably haven't done it to a good enough standard, really. So I think a lot of the times it is just easier to pay for this flutsterdning so you know that you're not going to be pulled up and be told to pay for it anyway. Definitely. To ask yourself, not only have I been anal, have I been Swedishly anal? Because, you know, it's kind of another level. And Emma, we're going to be seeing more of you soon because uh, you're going to start working part-time again, aren't you? I am, yeah. I look forward to 
actually thinking about something that isn't uh, nappies and uh, babies for, for a while. So I'm going to come back uh, to the local part-time to write a an election column and newsletter just ahead of the September election that's coming up now. So Excellent. I'm really looking forward to that because it's going to be an interesting election. It certainly is. And it's going to look into like the issues that politicians are talking about in Sweden and how they affect international residents in Sweden because I think it's really important to look at the election from that angle as well. Mm. Also just have election coverage in English. I think I haven't seen that anywhere else. I think it's a really important service. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. So this is going to be a newsletter just for paying members. So if you are a paying member, you can go to the local.se forward slash newsletters and sign up for Emma's election newsletter and you'll receive the first edition in your inbox on the 4th of July. And why why the 4th of July, Emma? There's a, there's a reason, isn't there? Uh, it's uh, Almadalen week. So Almadalen week is this big political festival in Sweden that happens every year. And that's, like, in an election year, that's also usually when campaigning really, really kicks off after the holidays. Mm. Um, so all, polit- all politicians will give speeches on their own days, and there will be lots of lobby organisations, and it takes place on the island of Gotland, uh, in this cute little town called Visby. So it's the place to be for everyone who works in Swedish politics that week. So it's nothing to do with the 4th of July? With the Independence Day, <laughs> nothing at all. And I think Richard and I will be there. So, how oh, will you? Absolutely, cool. So uh, we might even we might even record some podcast material there. So um, keep keep an ear out for that as well. Now we're going to move on to the main story this week, which surrounds a failed attempt by the opposition to get rid of Sweden's Justice Minister Morgan Johansson. And this process started uh, when the Sweden Democrats called for a vote of no confidence. What was the thinking behind that, Richard? Well, it's, it's, it's slightly murky, actually, because it came after the Committee on the Constitution, which is the, the most powerful committee in the Swedish parliament, which sort of is responsible for not only protecting the constitution, but also sort of appraising the government's handling of everything, basically. And they published their biannual report on everything that they've investigated. And Morgan Johansson, the justice minister, came in for some fairly heavy criticism. And this is something that all the parties, including the Social Democrats, sign off on the, on, on these reports. And But the criticism was nothing to do with crime. It was about the mainly about the evacuation of Swedish employees from Afghanistan. And, and he'd said that, you know, this would mean 30,000 people would need to come to Sweden. And this was not the case, they, they, they judged. And But that was used as a trigger for the Sweden Democrats to then call a vote of no confidence in him, which as soon as they started talking about it, they made about crime. So the group leader of the Sweden Democrats, uh, Henrik Winger, said, you know, the the, the, simple, the single best thing we can do to fight crime in Sweden is to send Morgan Johansson into early retirement. Was more, I think that was more or less what he said. So then the other parties came in on the back of that. And what, what what's also quite interesting is that the Sweden Democrats in the last eight years have called, I think, six votes of no confidence, which is about half of the total that have ever been called in Swedish parliamentary history. So they've been using this um, this mechanism over and over again. And I think it's partly because it's the biggest power that they have as a party, because for a lot of the parliament, no one's wanted to cooperate with them. So they haven't been able to do what they've been doing recently, which is team up with other parties. So they, But they do have enough MPs to call a vote in their confidence. So they've been doing it 
over and over again. And from their point of view, it's a way of getting crime and law and order back on the agenda and kind of restarting the, the election campaign after it's been sort of silenced by, by the talks over NATO and discussion of NATO. So it's a way of sort of getting the election campaign back on law and order, which is what they want to campaign on. It also forces the other parliamentary parties to come out and say their piece, take a stand, which I think is, is positive for the Sweden Democrats because it makes people join their side. If say, Ebba Bush had come out and defended Morgan Johansson, then people would have criticised her for that. So I think it's, it's clever of the Sweden Democrats to kind of use it to force people to take their side, in a way. And is that what happened? Um, how did the other parties in the Riksdag uh, react? Well, they were they were pretty close to toppling him, really. They only had one, they, they were only one vote off. So it was the Sweden Democrats, the Moderates, the Liberals, and the Christian Democrats, yeah. The parties not supporting it were the left party uh, to the Green Party and the Social Democrats, of course. The Centre Party as well, yeah. And so the parliamentary situation uh, meant that it came down to an independent member of parliament, Amina Kakabava. Who, who is she and why does she wield so much power, James? Yeah, well, I think we've spoken about her before in this podcast, but for anyone who doesn't remember, she is she's a really interesting character. She is born in Iran, a former Peshmerga fighter, and came to Sweden, you know, came to came to Sweden as a refugee. She was elected an MP for the for, for the left party, Venstrepartiet, but she was thrown out of Venstrepartiet for, for, for a number of transgressions. She didn't turn up for a, um, for, for a confidence vote. She, um, she, w- she was accused of not paying part of her salary to the party which, the, which Venstrepartiet forces its members of parliament to do. So she was thrown out of the party. And that made her a, an independent, or rather, as they call them in Swedish, which I think is quite, quite cool, uh, they call them um, a vilda. Politically wild. She's politically wild. So she, there, it, there she is, um, Amina Kakabava the politically wild MP um, who uh, and she uh, and, and, and she basically because that because the two sides in the Swedish parliament the, those supporting the government and those opposing the government are so evenly balanced she holds the balance of power now it's really really clear that she is she's I mean she's she, she was elected as a member of the left party. She is on the left of politics. So, you know, it would be natural for her to support the social democrats but she has decided that she has this power she is a party of one person and her one vote counts and matters. And so she's used it to exact um, a price. And her price has been it particularly, and this has become extremely relevant now with Sweden's NATO application, has been support for Kurds, particularly in Syria. And she has demanded that, that the government supports uh, the um, Kurdish party in Syria, the PYD. So it was controversial at the time and it's become more controversial since. And which side did she come down on in the end and how did the vote go? Well, Morgan Johansson is still the justice minister, so she came down on the side of the Social Democrats, but she left it to the very last minute. So she could have, she could have, as soon as the Sweden Democrats said this, come up with the, the same time the Centre Party did and said, you know, no, this is irresponsible, I don't support this. And, you know, the whole thing would have just been a damp squib. But she left it. Is it squabble squib? But, but she, le- she left it running over the weekend and she ended up having another round of talks with Tobias Baudin, who's the Social Democrats secretary. And then on the morning of the vote, she came out and said, I will not support the vote of no confidence. But she had a proviso, which is so long as the Social Democrats come up before 12 o'clock, which is when the vote was going to happen, and confirm that they're going to stick by the agreement that she had won to support the Kurds back in in November. Yeah, because she also had this kind of kingmaker role back in the the prime ministerial 
talks. Like she was, she also had the the final vote in deciding whether Magdalene Andersson should be approved to be Sweden's prime minister. And in November, there wasn't this difficult situation with Turkey refusing to support Sweden's NATO membership. And a lot of the things that the Social Democrats agreed to do are things that Turkey is massively opposed to. And Turkey's even mentioned Amina Kakabave as you know an agent of the PKK, that, who they regard as a terror group, and Sweden regards as a terror group. So a lot of the things that they'd agreed in November, you would have expected the Social Democrats to say, we can't support this anymore because otherwise we can't reach a green a deal on NATO so they've obviously decided that Turkey's price is going to be too high that perhaps even if they did go back on the deal with Amina Kakabove it still wouldn't be enough to win Turkey's support perhaps they've thought that or perhaps they just think it's going to take so long to get to, to go through the negotiations with Turkey that the election will have happened and Amina Kakabave would have obviously because she's an independent lost her seat so she will no longer be a problem. They kind of have to weigh up is it more important that we get the NATO application approved or is it more important that we survive until the election because Magdalena Andersson had said that if Morgan Johansson was um, if he'd lost the vote of no confidence and he had to step down that she would also step down so it is a little bit like, just do whatever Amina Kakabava says, just survive this no confidence vote. And then if it raises issues with Turkey, then we can handle them later. But first, we need to just get through the next few weeks, the next few months and get through to the election. But it does indicate that they've given up on getting a deal with Turkey by the uh, NATO meeting in June, mm -hmm. I think. Yes. It does, but exactly, and then, and the, but they can they can postpone it until after after the next election. But you know, it's a risky strategy. I think it is a risky strategy for both the social democrats and the moderates because they're very transparently putting short-term party interest ahead of what they claim is the long-term national interest. That's to say, Sweden getting into NATO as quickly as possible. So both the moderates who say that, you know, that, that, that Urs Christian's mantra is he wants to be the adult in the room. Well, by supporting this vote of no confidence, has he been the adult in the room in a period of security uncertainty? I think this could potentially end up being good for the left party and the Green parties who have kind of come out as the only anti-NATO parties because not only can they, they can kind of benefit from this whole story and say, look, Turkey are already affecting what we choose to do in Sweden. This whole question has kind of thrown thrown NATO into debate and NATO membership and like, how are we giving concessions to Turkey and stuff? And I think their kind of argument is, why should we be entering, entering an alliance with authoritarian states like Turkey? So I, I think they could definitely spin this to be like, well, look, this is what we were warning you about. This is what's happening. Mm. Are there any other winners in this? Any winners? I mean, you touched on on Ulf Kristersson. This undermines his role as the, the adult in the room. For the Sweden Democrats, for their voters, I think this works because their voters don't want a party that's the adult in the room. Their voters want a party that shakes things up and changes things. And it makes the Sweden Democrats look like they're, they're leading a, a leading force in the right-wing bloc, that they are taking the initiative. And, you know, Ulf Christensen is following. So I think they look like they're more of a powerful force, a potent force in politics, which I think can only help them. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the Christian Democrats could do okay out of it as well. This sort of fits with 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 Eber Bush's sort of uncompromising uh, attitude. As I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, both like journalists and commentators and just normal people saying like Sweden should be showing unity at the moment. Sweden shouldn't be looking. It, it looks just embarrassing that Sweden are arguing over something like this when they should be all clubbing together to get this NATO yeah. application approved. So I think there's also an argument for that, that like this whole thing is just a bit petty. The Social Democrats look weak, the moderates look petty. Like it just, it's not a good look for anyone really. 
that takes us to the end of this week's Sweden in Focus. Thank you for listening. And thank you to this week's guests, Emma Lovegrain and Amanda, Becky Waterton, James Savage and Richard Orange. Please do share your feedback about the podcast in our survey, which you can find in the episode description in your app. We'll be back again next Saturday. Until then, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage. <laughs>